Welcome to Your Great Story Podcast, where we chat with founders, leaders, and changemakers to learn about their journey to make the future a reality. I'm Eric, your friendly host. Follow us on where you are tuning in or find us on any social media channels to catch highlights and snippets of our episodes. Let's be inspired by the stories while you create your great story. All right, we are back on our next episode of uh, Your Great Story podcast. And this is part of the NOC uh, alumni series uh, where we revisit those who went through the NUS of this college program and went on to trace their passion, right, to make an impact through starting up. Uh, and today we have with us a face that is familiar in the NOC community, Audrey. Hi, Audrey. Welcome to the show. I'm super excited. So, Audrey, why not? Why not? Why not? Why not we start off by you sharing with our listeners uh, more about you and what you do at Playmola? On to you, Audrey. Thanks, Eric. Um, so I'm Audrey, Audrey Joy. I am the co-founder and now the CEO at Playmola. And um, a little bit by myself, I am um, married, have a wonderful husband who's also an entrepreneur, Gerald. And um, I would say that, you know, generally a very passionate and very happy person um, and try to live life to the full. Um, a little bit about Plain Mula. Um, so what we do is that the mission is about using money as an enabler so that we can live our flourishing lives. So financial literacy, financial emotional resilience is really just a step to help us to really design what our version of a flourishing life can look like so we can really begin to master money and make money work for us. So we do that really through different mediums. We work today with um, educational institutions from secondary to junior college to the universities. We also work with corporates as well as also with um, different financial institutions. And it comes in different modalities. So we try and make it fun, engaging through storytelling so that money can be a bit more lighthearted as opposed to being very, very serious. That's a good initiative. Uh, in, in fact, uh, I, I agree with you. Money is always sometimes a very sensitive topic, right? Or a really heavy topic. We talk about spending, expenditures, expenses, uh, P&L and all that. A really, really good initiative to make it more lighthearted, right? Uh, and helping people to have financial, emotional resistance and resilience, right? So just to mention about uh, you have always been a passionate person and that reminds me of years, 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 years back um, that you have always been a passionate figure that I, I, I look up to, right? Uh, in running um, enterprises uh, like Klimola. So share with us a little bit more about your entrepreneurship journey, right? Uh, since maybe the days of NOC. Sure. So I would say that uh, my entrepreneurship journey started perhaps even as early as uh, 18 years old. Wow. Um, I, was, <laughs> I was probably just a bored young person who saw that, you know, you could do stuff on like WordPress at that time with LiveJournal. So I started an online e-commerce business selling women's apparel. So that was my very first uh, foray into trying to be creative, you know, and make some side hustle at that time. Um, and very fortunately had the opportunity to go on NOC and I was in Silicon Valley batch 14 and uh, was one of the five women to have been given the opportunity to go. It was a batch of almost 26 of us. So it's almost a one in five ratio. And at the time I had the opportunity to work with a company called Quick 
Click.com. They develop live video streaming from your cell phone. So essentially, it's what we know as FaceTime today. But the founders really started it many, many years ago. And so that was perhaps, you know, the really early beginnings of being involved in a technology experience. And what I uncovered was this deep sense of passion as well as vision that if the founders really believed in something, you know, they would rally resources and the team to actualize that. And so I think that gave me a lot of inspiration as well and that time to find myself uh, with Min, um, who's also our NOC batch 14 SV. We found ourselves in the middle of the global financial crisis. And as young people, we thought, uh, you know, what could we do? Was it something that we could do to respond to this crisis? And the journey started when we had the intersection of, you know, young people and really about helping us to build good behavioral habits with money. And, you know, that was really the early inception of Playmula. And long story short, you know, that has led me through uh, different ventures as well, supporting social entrepreneurs in the region. And um, yeah, I find myself back in Playmula today still after so long. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting, right? So uh, I remember I was a student uh, in Silicon Valley, I remember. And, and I think you and Min flew down to uh, SF and uh, Bay Area and, and to share with us your story back then. It has changed me a little bit, but the core core of the social impact is still there. And it's still the play mula, right? That we know. Um, maybe we, let's rewind a clock a little bit, right? So what was it like on day one when you started Playmula? Yeah, um, it was really at that time to figure out, you know, what was it that was causing this economic crisis, right? On a very philosophical level, I was trying to figure out what was broken in our system, what was wrong. And it really landed on one specific thing that we as young people were not taught about money. So it's such a pivotal experience that so many of us could resonate with because it's not part of our daily curriculum and neither really is it part of you know home curriculum because if mm. mom and dad doesn't talk to you about money, then you probably will never really quite have a money conversation or learn the lessons you need around money. So that was really the first, you know, first point of inquiry, right? That realizing that as a young NOC students like, oh, I have money to spend now, but how do I steward my paycheck? That was really, you know, the early days of the inception. Right, right. So I remember it was um, more for kids then and um, things have changed, I believe, right, since then. How, how is things like gradually pivoted slash um, grown from then? Yeah. So we started first with uh, educating children, mm. um, you know, like primary school, elementary school children. But very quickly realizing that actually the biggest impact we could have was actually on the parents. Because you can teach mm. children all you want, right? They come into class, they go into a workshop, they have you know games that we've developed for them. But if behavioral lessons are not equipped or the principles of money are not equipped, a good relationship to money with money narratives are not equipped with the parents, then you know parents would probably be perpetuating certain you know challenging behaviors with their children. So we realized that, you know, okay, it's like you think you're teaching children, but actually you're inspiring the children to teach their parents also. And so how it's evolved today is that the more we did the work that we did, the more we realized that there was a need with young adults as well. So that was our early work. You know, we worked with a couple of financial institutions and it was like, okay, you know, could we do this also for young adults? And in fact, today, you know, we also are working with, uh, with NUS and this is the financial well-being program that's been developed together with the Center for Future Ready Graduates at NUS to equip our young people 
pre-graduation, you know, with the skills that they need to make good decisions. So at the heart of it is about discernment, right? Because what we're teaching kids is, yes, there's the literacy that's around, you know, the five pillars of money, like save, earn, give, spend, invest. But at the end of the day, whether you're an adult or a child, it comes down to decision-making. How do you make wise decisions at that point of purchase or around trade-offs? So some of the fundamental principles and the core are still very similar. Like what you said earlier, the Flamela we know yesterday and today is very similar. But the way in which we've expressed and the way in which we've expanded the suite has really begun to grow in the past few years. Mm, nice. Wow, that is super interesting. Um, definitely, definitely agree with you that going in early, the first paycheck, before a person receives the first paycheck, you um, go in and educate and give a practical perspective on how we can manage money in a very positive manner. So, I mean, there are always ups and downs and there are always changes, right? Expanding. Uh, how tough was it? Was there a point that you wanted to give up and throw the towel and say that, mm, you know what, let's, let's just do an e-commerce, right? Like what you did uh, earlier on, maybe uh, for NOC. Uh, and could you share with us, you know, how you felt uh, at these moments? Yeah. So in fact, so real, right? Like the founders and aspiring founders would listen. In fact, you know, a conversation this morning um, that happened is to start is very easy, but to sustain that after doing this for so many years, I realized it's the hardest, you know? How do you sustain growth? How do you sustain profitability? And so it came to a headway actually in 2016 um, when I decided to take um, like time out of being operational in Playmola. So, you know, the founders at that time had very differing visions, but yet still very supportive of one another of, you know, the vision. And so I actually took a step back and for almost close to four years, I ventured off and did something else. And that was really in... It was part of my Playmola experience where I found myself in Indonesia uh, working with a group of uh, slum children, you know, children who live in the, the remote and, you know, the poverty-stricken areas. And that was really when I, I really, I felt like there was a bigger mission also in poverty eradication. And I thought, hey, you know, if my time in Playmola at the time was limited, then, you know, maybe it's better to be open to a change of leadership and, you know, let, um, yeah, let my co-founder run the business and so i mean honestly i thought i was done really so people probably thought that i was like you know gone from playing mula audrey had quit you know but i guess life takes us in strange adventures and places in 2020 before the pandemic it was really when you know i was faced with a situation where i would continue um you know transforming the business and come back and here i am <laughs> i'm back wow <laughs> Well, that is uh, that is definitely uh, new news to me. I mean, that's, that's something that I definitely didn't know uh, before uh, asking you this question. Definitely not an easy um, decision, right? Uh, to come back to lead the company again uh, after four years of uh, having a break. And how has it been, right? Since 2020 and today yeah. now is 19 August 2022, just uh, for context. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I it's I mean maybe you know like uh, some of my closest circles of friends would probably know you know Audrey had taken the back seat and it was very hard, Eric. It was very hard because it's like you built something that's like you know you start from scratch, you put so much time and energy. It was very very difficult. But I think this is something that I've learned in leadership and in in business, right? That if there is an opportunity also to to you know not I mean I think sometimes it's like we we're so scared that we are like. Uh, dispensable or like indispensable right but actually no one really is 
dispensable. Mm. I mean, everyone is indispensable, so to say, right? So when we take that heart of, um, you know, of like letting go of, you know, passing the baton on as well, it's okay, right? Then, you know, leaders can express their vision and do things in a way that resonates with them. And so looking back now, to be very honest, like I was very, 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 very hesitant to run the business because there's so much like self-doubt, you know, so much like question and so much ambiguity. And that time was like, pre- it was almost going to hit COVID. And I think it's one of the best decisions I've made <laughs> now that you ask this question because <laughs> I see the transformation and I see the impact and I see, I see the growth. And I think it, it also stemmed from a place of personal conviction, you know, like that. This was the right thing to do at that time because we had raised money from our friends, our family, our investors that perhaps, you know, I needed to give it a shot, right? With a lot more um, discernment to then decide, you know, what to do. <laughs> wow. What a story. Let's double down on that conviction that you have. Uh, I've been always very curious like your, about the passion that you have behind um, helping people to um, make financial decisions in a way or make it easy and make it um, more friendly, less serious. What is that whole motivation or passion behind this initiative? Yeah. Is there a story behind I mean, it? I think it's a really it's a really good question because what you've just asked is like very core, right? You're asking yes. me like what 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 motivates me to to do what I do and to to continue, you know? Because I think like do what I do is okay, but to continue doing it and this morning I was just speaking to, you know, to a uh, uh, a prof from NUS and like she asked me how long have you been doing this I'm like oh my gosh it's more than 10 years you know I mean you combine the length of time and it's a long time right and so for me I think it comes down to a couple of things and you know the first that I think really convinces me and convicts me is this aspect of the flourishing life and why I say this is because, you know, so many of us go through life just working, investing, earning money, spending money. But, you know, do we really stop and ask ourselves, like, what are we using and stewarding this money for, right? In, in, a, in a state that is reasonable, that is, you know, joyful, that is flourishing, you know? Like, your version of flourishing may be very different from mine. So money is not the end, right? It's a means to an end. But then if we begin to ask ourselves, what is the end? then what is living life to the full and is flourishing life going to look like? So I think that vision became suddenly like, oh, this makes it worth doing. That if we were to teach the skills, the mental agility, the habits in a way that would make sense for the user, our customers, then leading them to the path of their own unique flourishing makes sense. It's worth it. Mm. So that's number one for me. The second thing is really about, at the very core of it, is about discernment and decision-making. Because at the end of the day, everything that they were teaching about money can be distilled down to how you make decisions. You know, and when I think about that, I've come to realize as a young person that, you know, we make all these decisions on a daily basis, good decisions, bad decisions, poor decisions. And it's from everything, right? From money to food, to your friends, to your spouse, (laughs) to Mm. your work, to how you treat people. You know, so at the end of the day, this sense of like, how do you discern well the choices that you have? And oftentimes, right, it's like, you may not be discerning between a good and a bad. It may be two good things, you know. So how do you discern that in that time and be true to yourself, you know, and be true to your values as well? So I realized at the very core of it, it's really about discernment. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Um, well, two very big points, right? Um helping people to have flourishing lives um, as well as uh, discernment, helping people to really 
prioritize slash compare options, right? To make a good decision. And a good decision is subjective, right? A good to you might not be good to me. A good to me might not be good to you. So that's where I think the impact is, is very unique for everybody. And, and, and I think it's good that we talk about this term, right? Uh, financial emotional resilience. I would like you to help us to break down this phrase, right? On financial, mm. emotional and resilience. Tell us more about this term and why is it so important? Yes. So we can almost describe financial emotional resilience as a way of shaping your thoughts, your emotion, and simply your behavioral practice to make these good discerning decisions for yourself. And why is it, you know, if you break it down even further, right? Why is it that we chose this aspect? Because think about it. There's this framework we use that your head, your hand, and your heart. So what do you think, what you feel, and what you do? So it's almost like financial emotional resilience is like your head, hand, and your heart. How you use money, how you relate with money, right? And to be very specific, right? Like, I mean, I could give you a very a simple example that, you know, you may learn all these skills about money, investing, budgeting, you might be doing all the right things, but why is it that you might be still fighting with your spouse or your loved ones about money? Why is it that you still feel triggered? You feel angry, you feel guilty, you feel ashamed, right? So what we learned is that, you know, money is also emotional and therefore to really learn to regulate our skills around money and decision-making around money and our emotions those aspects need to come together to help us to build a resilient relationship to money. Wow, that is so deep. Uh, you know, within this like one, two minutes, I've learned so much. It's like a mini crash course. I really love what you described on the, was it 3H, right? Hate, heart, and hand, right? Mm, I think this, yeah. giving you a fourth H, which I think these three are very holistic because it works hand in hand together, right? What you do, yeah. what you think, what you feel, right? And I think sometimes, like you mentioned, I think money does um, trigger conflicts. Right, between friends, trigger conflicts between family members, even, right? Or even best friends, close friends. So how do we really manage this um, you know, mental and emotional aspects of money management? I mean, you know, as you were speaking earlier, you said three H, right? I realize there's a fourth H. Health. Health, that's right. Right? Yeah. Because money is such a big source of stress for us that, you know, it affects our mental health, our our financial health, and even our physical health. And so you know, the question of how do we manage some of these challenging aspects, you know, mental, emotional. One thing that I would say is that that's very fundamental to Play Mula, which has been a really a through thread across a lot of the work that we've done for many years. This got emerged with one of the programs we did called Honesty Circle. And what this program does is that it explores what we call your money narrative. Okay, So um, there is a futurist whom I follow, and uh, I was introduced to him by another NOC friend, Dira. And uh, Dira. he talks about yeah, so this futurist, uh, Sohal, he speaks about, you know, the deepest layer of the iceberg, okay, called the myth and the metaphor layers. So this layer is really where your belief system, whether it's limiting belief or empowering beliefs around things in the world, you know, your could be your religion, could be your, you know, your choices of how you see governments, you know, or industries, and then fin- finally with money. And so... When we tackle this aspect of what we call your money narrative and your money beliefs, it gives us a view of how you as a person actually begin to see money. So I'll give you an example, right? You might say, okay, money is the root of all evil. It's the source of all conflict. So that already comes from a rather negative place, right? And maybe it's because of the trauma that we've experienced seeing our parents fight about. But there's also empowering beliefs like money is a tool for a purposeful life, right? 
money is for stewardship of planet, people, and like the world. And so this aspect of what we call money narratives is so unique and different to each and every one of us. And therefore, when we begin to be conscious of our money narratives, we can then understand why we behave a certain way around money and mm. people. And once we do that, you know, we begin to understand why we behave like that, lah, you know? Like mm. you might you might see money as a conflict and source of our evil, and therefore you avoid looking at your bank account. Because to you it's like, I don't want to deal with this money because it pains me, right? In my life. But if money is a tool for investing in relationships and things I love, then you know, money suddenly becomes this enabler that okay, can I have a learning fund, a music fund, you know, a sports fund. So you see where we are going? Like a lot of times what happens on the above iceberg is that we teach about all these skills, right? Like budgeting, savings, which are all necessary. But we now need to connect this with our beliefs. I think the core belief that you mentioned is really, really important um, because everybody has packages, right? Everybody has <laughs> yeah. um, history, yeah. family history, right? Everybody has a different exactly. background as well. And it's unique. Exactly. Um, I, was, I was just thinking of, of, you know, like a very, very, very um, end-to-end spectrum, right? Um, at one end is, you know, like, maybe a broken family, right? And, and money causes uh, the dad to gamble and then, then the, the child hates money because money is essentially okay. the of evil. And then the other, way, the other spectrum is really money helping the poor, right? Helping the poor to able to go to school, able to be educated, yes. able to work and make impact in the workforce, right? In the world. I think mm-hmm. it's really, really very, very unique. Uh, and, and this whole spectrum can you mentioned like every single point is like, you know, like you and I, we are also unique. We have different aspects of money. And then that's where I think it's important to go in early uh, as well. And I guess the right age is really before getting the first paycheck, right? Getting the first yes. um, few thousand dollars maybe, right? Or of, of the first paycheck. And how do you use it? How do you save it? Like the five um, components of money. Cool. Um, let's switch gears a little bit, right? Let's switch gears to um, the NOC experience, right? Let's take one step back, right? To look at that. So can you share with the audience, um, the listeners, more about this program? Uh, just now you mentioned that you're interning in, in Quick. Did that one year stint help you in your startup journey, um, starting Playmula, and how? Yeah, I, I would say that NLC experience was pretty transformational. It really changed my life in a very profound way in that it gave me a lot of exposure. And how it helped us really was, you know, it first gave me a view and a vision mm. of what startups and what companies and innovation can look like. That's the first thing. The second thing is we met uh, many angels along the way, right? And these are like, you know, professors like Tom Kosnick, who started introducing us to people in the network in the Bay Area to meet, you know, parents. And so for me, you know, and even Batchmates, right, that you have that became good friends along the journey of entrepreneurship to share the, you know, the war stories. I mean, for me, there's so much treasures that NOC has given. And yeah, just very grateful. Lah. And it's an amazing mm. program. Definitely, definitely. Um, just to mention, uh, Prof. Uh, Tom Kosnick, uh, any other mentors in the NOC network that you would like to call out? Wow. Who else? Uh? Let me think. Prof. Wong is another one. Mm. Profong was a very big supporter of our work and continues to be. Yeah. So, mm. and I, I think also honoring all the other, you know, people behind the scenes, right? Like mm. uh, Dr. Yeah. Lily Chan, who helmed NUS Enterprise at the time. 
I mean, I mean, it's amazing with female leadership. And I mean, I know that there were so many people who went before us to pave the way as Profong was telling the story. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Thanks for that. And, and how about your batchmates, right? Uh, your batchmates are seniors, the juniors, you know, who, who are your fellow people in, in your batch that is in close contact um, in making impact in the world as well with you? Yeah, I mean, I think one of them is really uh, Vera. Mm. <laughs> is is um, he the batch? Same batch, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He oh, was my uh, batchmate. So Vera is doing really good work. Um, and I mean, you know, as entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs, impact entrepreneurs, there's um, only so few of us, right? And having <laughs> batchmates, I mean, to share that unique experience all the way from Bay Area to now is really something unique. And I mean, we have, you know, seniors like Kelly, Kelly Chu, mm, Kelly and Chu. like Charmaine from Stockholm, who's the founder yep. of ClickDesk. I mean, we found ourselves, you know, as female entrepreneurs, really connecting and really being able to, to dialogue, right, with one another and to share some of the challenges along the way and to celebrate one another. That's the other yes. thing. Yes, celebrate one another, celebrate the journey and uh, also celebrate little success as well, right, along the way. Um, I think that is where the NOC network really is very strong and heartwarming, right? And like what you say, very transformation, uh, very, it transforms your whole life, in fact. I mean, without, to be honest, for me, without NOC, I wouldn't be able, you know, of thinking like this, starting this podcast, to be honest, right? Wow. I think, yeah. So I think that's, that's where also we have, it allows us to think about, you know, the impossible is possible, maybe, right? I think that's I like where that. um, it, it, comes, it comes to the picture. Still doing the one year stint, right? Uh, or, or even actually any trips that you go back um to the Bay Area. What is one event or one activity um in the Bay Area that you remember and it still stays very close to your heart? Um, does it have to be positive or negative? <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it to you for that. <laughs> Hopefully <Wow>. positive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would think that um, you know, I think my experience at Quick was really was really, really um transformational in a sense you know working with really good founders like pj teller and Bhaskar. it was such a i still i still remember maybe like you know the experience when i first went down to the office the very first day like you know mm. singaporean right and you buy your, your long sleeve and then you buy your suit and your jacket <laughs> that was how i remember like preparing for my first day at work but you know, when I went in and then I saw my co-founders and they were like in jeans and t-shirt and they had such a, they had such a warm, like heart and culture. And I was just like, wow, you know, the humility that my co-founders had. I mean, subsequently, Quick did incredibly well. They sold the business to Skype for I think 100, 100 million or something like that. I can't remember. Mm. So, you know, really, really high impact, you know, like growth technology businesses but the founders were so incredibly down to earth and grounded and for me that was so inspiring as a young person and like you know we would hang out you sit next to the founder who's your boss and then on Fridays with the team they would have beer bash you know everyone just sit around and like play xbox and talk you know and so we were invited into their homes for dinner so there was just so much um love right and in fact, our CEO at that time, BJ, actually ended up, you know, doing a, a angel investment into Play Mula as well. And that was the most, you know, like unexpected thing, right? As a young person, you don't expect but the generosity, the humility and the, 
the support, the confidence they had in like me and myself as young people. I mean, like it's so crazy, you know, to think about it. So we just receive so much generosity and so much love all around that. Yeah, we're just very, very grateful. Yeah, indeed, indeed. I, 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 I could almost feel the warmth from here as, as you share. Oh, honest, right? I can feel the warmth, <laughs> they right? They are amazing, la. They are. Yeah, I mean, you, you made me recollect, you know, those memories that even if we were interns, we are, we are yes, interns. Exactly, we are not even full time. Right? We are interns. Exactly. And, and we're invited to their place for like dinner exactly. and barbecue. And, and exactly, it's just not, right. It's just so warm, right? It's like, so it's like a family almost. And Absolutely. that is really heartwarming um, to really think about that. Wow, 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 wow. Cool. You know, as we wrap up, wrap up this episode, um, you know, I'll find a few questions, right? Just to, just to uh, learn more. So given that, you know, we are focusing on flourishing lives, what is your own personal definition of that? Yeah, that's a really good one. I think for me, I, and it, you know, what I learned with flourishing life is that it might evolve and it might change over the seasons. Yes. So one aspect of the flourishing life which I really treasure a lot is investing in relationship and it's, you know, family relationships, our team relationship, or, you know, our friendships that are out there. And why this is important, I think also, and, you know, as, as adults who have responsibilities with like children, I think one of the things that come to this flourishing life is how do I use my time and having the autonomy to really choose and decide and to discern where mm-hmm. I would spend my time. And to have that freedom and that autonomy for me is one version of flourishing. So it means that I can choose how I spend my time and who I spend my time with and what I spend my time with. So for me, time is a very precious resource and therefore it's one of the things that you know, I treasure, right? Because you know, it's not infinite. Mm-hmm. You can go at any time. So that's one version of flourishing. And I think another version of flourishing as I'm thinking and, you know, listening to you talk also is, you know, this aspect of mastery, right? Mm. Having mastery over things that I enjoy. So one of the things that to me is flourishing is to play music. (laughs) It is something that, you know, I never got to to do when I was a child. I wanted to play the piano, but then my teacher at the community centre quit like on like, the third month or something like that. <laughs> he didn't give me many reasons. But every time I, my friends are like, I was so putting. Why a teacher cream was really bad? But one version of flourishing was to learn the piano as an adult. And for me, that ability to have the time, you know, the resource to do that was something that helped me, you know, like express and to enjoy life. So, yeah. Wow. wow. <laughs> That's great sharing. Yeah. I think you mentioned um, really have discernment to where we spend our time on um, and to create kind of marry that to spending mm-hmm. the time on what we treasure and what we love. And for you now is music, right? Piano. Uh, I also love piano, by the way. <laughs> but I think yay, music, right? Uh, I think that really, I think music is something that really uh, helps us to um, unwind. I mean, that's for me, like every morning turn on Spotify and, and uh, listen to music as well. Um, can we keep up acoustic or piano as well? Mm-hmm. Just, on that note, you know, like when you talk about time management and we've been talking about money management, I know time and money itself is another episode. Maybe we can uh, revisit <laughs> this as a part sure. two next time. Um, because I know that time management... Eric. <laughs> <laughs> like I think time management is really, really important because if you say money equals to time, 
and you branch out money management and time management, that could be a very interesting topic to talk about. How do you balance sure. money and time and yeah. all that? Yeah. Um, part two, part two, we'll definitely reconnect on that. Just last, last question for our listeners here is to wrap up is for those impact entrepreneurs, right? Who are hustling every day. What is your one piece of advice um, that you'd like to give to them? <sighs> wow, that's a, it's a tough one. I mean, there's so many things, right? For entrepreneurs, but I think, I think there's, if there's one thing that comes down to, it will come down to being a person of integrity and having authenticity to yourself. And I think what I mean by that is that, you know, in life, we're always faced with a lot of choices, a lot of very tough decisions to make. And especially for impact entrepreneurs, we have to give up a lot. You know, I mean, as entrepreneurs, we sacrifice a lot. And sometimes with impact entrepreneurs or social entrepreneurs, the, the rewards or the upside may even not be like financially rewarding, right? And mm. so I, I say this with integrity as integrity because I think at some point in our life, we will be faced, right, with this situation where, you know, what is the authentic and the just thing to do that is the right thing that I need to do at this time in my life? And so for me, you know, that came from a place where I decided that the right thing to do was to come back to play Mula and to try to transform the business for hopefully the next decade. Whether or not this succeeds, you know, yeah, it's okay. I've done my best <laughs> to all my friends and family and investors, right? And our customers. But I think what that meant mm. is really that I'm true to myself and mm. I am authentic in the decision that I have made that I think I can live with. So it's not to be afraid of, you know, what might be unknown, right? So being true and authentic to ourselves and having the integrity to do the right thing at that time and doing your best. I think for me, that would be the one thing I'll say to the entrepreneurs. That is a very good summary. Very being true to ourselves, being authentic, being real. Uh, and back to your original point just now is to invest in relationships. And I hope that this episode helps us to invest our relationships, right? I think, I think without the NOC network, we will, we will not be able to come back to reconnect right? and to have this series and um, have this episode part of that. Uh, and having, having said that, that is a wrap. Uh, really, really thank, thank you, Audrey, for your time on a Friday evening. Thank you so much for your time. Mm. And always outwards, Playbola. Thank you, Audrey. Yay! Thank you, Eric. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Your Grid Story Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. Chase your dreams, live out your passion and discover your great story.